0: From the Diocese of Gallup, welcome to Crozier Cast. I'm Suzanne Hammonds, Director of Communications, and as always, with me is your host, Bishop James Wall. Bishop Wall, how are you today?
1: I'm well, Suzanne. How are you doing?
0: Pretty good. Yeah, good. Plain, yeah. Good to hear. Um, so, this being um, July that we are recording, we wanted to talk about something. Uh, it's not, you know, people think about it a lot during maybe Fourth of July in America or um, country's anniversary elsewhere, but today. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's something that's relevant year round. And so that, the, the topic is uh, religious freedom. And, um, I think it becomes sort of a, it, sometimes it's a hot topic depending on, you know, who's president or who's not president, but really, I mean, it's, it's something that's always relevant, isn't it?
1: It is. Yeah. It is. I mean, it's, it's a refer to it as our, our first freedom, right? Our, our first freedom to be able to, uh, to live out our faith and not just simply worship, but live out our faith, which means it's 24 seven. It's not something that can just simply be relegated to an hour or two on a Sunday, but it's something that um, we want to be able to do uh, each and every moment of the week. And so we have a liberty. That's what we refer to as our first freedom. And um, yeah, so I think that's, it, it's 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 a good idea that we, we think about it Throughout the entire year, it's like a birthday. You know, you, you celebrate the day on the on that day. For Fourth of July, we celebrate our liberty on that day, but it's not something that we don't do without for the rest of the year. And somebody's birthday, it's not that you don't do without that person's life for the rest of the year yes. either. So it's it's something that's always there, but we, we find special days to celebrate it and lift it up. And Fourth of July is the day we do that. Yeah,
0: and for countries elsewhere. Um I mean, religious freedom, or really any inherent freedoms, aren't granted by any government, are they? They come from God.
1: Yeah, right? yeah, and that's you know we go back to our Constitution, we go back to the founding documents of our of our um, of our country, and they're they're not something that, that we create, but rather they're something that we acknowledge, because as you said, they are founded by God. So, one of your favorite
0: saints. I think was he your confirmation saint? Is Saint Thomas More? Yes. And he is. he's he's relevant to um, religious freedom in a big way. Do you want to tell us a little bit about
1: who that was? Sure. We know he was, you know, chancellor for Henry the Eighth, friend of Henry the Eighth, and and uh, there was a time when everything was, everything was hunky dory between the two of them. But as we know the history with um, Henry the Eighth, a lot of it had to do with divorce and um, desire to divorce one woman and and marry another. And, um, and uh, he wasn't granted an annulment to be able to do that. And so rather than be obedient to the church, rather he, you know, he, he sets himself up as the head of the church in England, and that's where you have the birth of the Anglican Episcopalian Church. And um, Thomas More, along with another great man, John Fisher, the only bishop really to, to speak out against the, the king at the time. Both of them ultimately lost their life uh, because they were they were standing up for for religious freedom and they weren't acknowledging for, you know, Henry the Eighth for somebody, he wasn't, he wasn't uh, the head of the church. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that job's given to the successor of St. Peter and that comes from our Lord himself. Yeah. And it was for such a petty reason too because he
0: wanted a, a son. And the wives that he had weren't uh, giving
1: him a son, so he decided, "I'll just divorce her." As yeah, much he as kept possible. thinking it was her fault. Yeah. And as we all know, that that doesn't happen yeah. that way. Yeah. It's, uh, it's the, uh, the duty of the man. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it was what a prideful man. Yeah. Yeah, what a prideful man! What a, what a wreck of a man he used. To, he must have been toward the end of his life. Have you seen the movie A uh, Man for All Seasons? I have. Paul Schofield. It's a it's a great fiction. You know, it's back in the days when Hollywood made great movies about virtue and yeah. things that were important to us, and they still do every once in a while, but um, I have. I've seen it a number of times. It's one of my favorite movies, and as you mentioned, I, I chose St. Thomas More um, as my confirmation saint, and it was a, it was interesting. You know, I, I wasn't confirmed until I was in college, but it was interesting. I had all these other saints I thought I was going to choose, and he was someone who was never on my radar. And then a, a really good priest down in Phoenix kind of introduced me to to his life, the story. I remember reading about him, watching the movie, and I was just I was so inspired. And um, I, the one thing I really liked is he was referred to as a papist, yeah. which, was, which was a slight. Yeah. But I, I thought, what a cool thing to be referred to as a papist. I, was, I found that, that very, very... Um, attractive, like that. you know. That's he was a son of the church, is what he was, and um, and so, so yeah. I, I, that's that's how I got got interested in the life of, of Saint Thomas More, and through Saint Thomas More, it's how I learned a little bit about, more about John Fisher, and, um, and that's why those two saints are celebrated together and their feast day, is celebrated together. But they're for um, on the USCCB website. We'll we can put that in the show notes. Uh, we have some some great resources. On religious liberty, religious freedom, the importance of it, how it relates to our faith and living out our faith, and and maybe important things going on in our in our uh, in our society in our country right now. But it does list our two patrons for that committee um, are Thomas More and John Fisher.
0: Yeah, uh, I think one of my favorite lines from that. It was a play first as well, which is really good. But the one of his associates kind of sells him out in in return for getting, I think, uh, being ruler over Wales, yeah. you know, and the whole thing is like, oh, you sold your soul for what, for Wales, you know, people are really surprised. <laughs> so every once in a while you'll see like if a, if a Catholic, if someone in, in a prominent Catholic sort of goes along with um, secular society and, and sort of betrays the church, people will tease them, you know, it's like, for what, for this congressional district or for that, yeah. you know, it's like yeah. for something that's passing.
1: Exactly, it's, and yeah. that's... You know, it could be the biggest, most wealthy country in the world, or it could be the smallest, poorest country in the world, or, or whatever the case is. Those things are passing, yeah. and you know, we're always supposed to have our hearts set on things which are above that, which isn't passing. And uh, Thomas More and, and John Fisher are perfect examples of that. They understood that that all this stuff eventually will pass away. What was important, first and foremost, was a relationship. That they had with the Lord and living out their faith um, and being faithful to it. Um, you know, it was a famous line I guess that people quote a lot. And, you know, die the the um, the king's good and faithful servant, but God's first, and that's how everybody should be. And that was, I think, one of the other things that really inspired me about uh, about uh, Thomas More. You know, that just his priority really, is his priority. He had his his life in order. That meant God came first, others second, and he was third.
0: And empires fate, you know. The, the England at the time was the most powerful, and then America currently is arguably the most powerful. But eventually, they
1: all fall, you know. And back in the day, Rome was yeah. the Roman Empire, and you know you have all these things. They all come and go. Yeah. Everything, everything is gonna, gonna, gonna come and go and pass away. But we know that the kingdom of heaven will not. And so we want to set our hearts on the things which are eternal. And yeah. That, that's it relationship with the Lord, that's that uh, eternal life with God in heaven, that should be our number one priority.
0: Yeah. Um, Now, do you, is there anything recently that you've been working on with the bishops or or here in our own diocese that you think relates to religious freedom?
1: Well, I think there's been a a number of things. I think probably the thing people like to talk about the most um, would be our um, upcoming letter on the Eucharist, we're, we're really excited about that, and we're doing some exciting stuff here too in our own diocese. We're going to do a five-week series called John 6, and because John 6 is where we have the Bread of Life discourse, mm-hmm. and we have five Sundays in a row minus the, the solemnity of the Assumption, but we'll still continue to speak about it on that week, and that's that's in relationship to the Eucharist and the, and the true presence. And I think one of the things people are, are thinking a lot about is the Eucharistic coherence consistency and that um, essentially means you know who is um, able to receive Holy Communion and I think one of the things that's kind of come to the forefront recently is that we have a second president in the history of our country our first was President Kennedy second president in the history of our country being President Biden uh, who's a baptized Catholic but also and sadly um, he's, he's uh, Proponent of abortion, that's right. Abortion at all costs it seems, and uh, even wanting to enshrine it in law yeah. and um, do away with the Hyde Amendment. All these, uh, these, these different things. And these are things that this man, at one time in his life, was was against uh, doing. But unfortunately, it's, you know, it's kind of a slippery slope once you you uh, sell your soul for, for, for You say like for Wells, right? All this <laughs> for whales. Yeah.
0: For four years or eight years of. Yeah, presidency. yeah,
1: and so um, I think that's one of the things that's, that's come to the forefront is that here we have the 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 president, so he's the kind of leader of the free world, most powerful man on, in in the in the world right now, in terms of a, a government leader, and he's Catholic and he's um, he's staunchly for abortion. He's he's a, he's in he's opposition to the church's teaching on the on the. Um, the sanctity of life and so I think that's a, one of the questions that's really important for people to think about you know what it is what it is what does it mean to be a faithful Catholic and and I would argue and I think the church would argue too and, and rightly so that you know to hold the position of being a um, in pro, pro-abortion in, in, in favor of something that's intrinsically evil and actually to promote it in law um, uh, would not make you a faithful Catholic. Um, you're a Catholic by virtue of your baptism, but you have to live out your baptism. So I would, I would argue that such a person, and I know the kind of the targets on a president right now, but I would say anyone mm-hmm. that finds himself in, in such a position should um, refrain from presenting themselves for Holy Communion, that's right. and that it doesn't, you know, that's what Canon 916 says, and that it doesn't place the onus on the, the minister of the Holy Communion. And denying that person communion, so you, a person needs to be right in, in their heart first. They, I, you know, I pray, pray for a president, pray for anyone that holds that position, because that's not a position that will lead you to eternal life.
0: Yeah, which I think is probably the the crux of the argument, which is, you know, this isn't for political clout. Like it doesn't matter if, if we were in America or any other country or who the, the leader was. It's the idea is that you're you're looking out for their soul.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. care of the souls. Yeah. And if you, you truly love the person, then you, then you should want that person to be in heaven like we would hopefully desire for ourselves. And um, to hold that position and promote that position, and, um, it's not it's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a dead end. That's a, a, that's a path that leads to ruin, leads to eternal damnation. And in a relationship with that, St. Paul talks about the man who receives the Holy Communion and wordly brings damnation down upon himself, condemnation that's not good at all we should never want that for anyone so it's almost like somebody who is you know maybe a blind man who's going to step out into ongoing traffic you know you're just going to stand back and look and let him do it or you're going to you know jump in front of him or say stop or yell or do, do whatever you can to keep the person from causing you know from, from being harmed and I think that's one of the ways we want to look at this. So it is really about the care of souls.
0: Especially if that blind man is leading other blind people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as yeah. in this case, you know, it has greater, the, the ramifications from certain legislation is, is bigger than one person as well. Yeah, you
1: know? it is. So,
0: um, and do you want to, can you give us a little uh, a preview of the upcoming John 6? So what, maybe for those who aren't familiar, maybe they haven't, haven't looked at those part of the Gospels um, what is what is important about this this section for you? So
1: John six, John's Gospel chapter six is known as the Bread of Life discourse, and it really is the point where our Lord hammers home uh, the the true presence that his, his as he says his body is true food, his blood is true drink. Right? It's really where he 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 sets the apostles up, his disciples up, to understand that what he passes on at the Last Supper. Is truly His body, blood, soul, and divinity present to us in the Eucharist, under the form of bread and wine. You know, it's a transformation of the of the Passover meal, uh, where He is He's that He's that uh, perfect uh, uh, sacrifice, that sacrificial Lamb without blemish. And so, in John six, at the very beginning, we have the multiplication of the, of the loaves, and so again, that's something that's setting us up for something that's a, a much much greater and that is uh, our Lord and present the Eucharist so he performs that miracle of the uh, multiplication of loaves and fish in order to to feed the, the multitudes that are in front of him and then from that it moves right into this teaching on uh, the Eucharist and you know Jesus will talk about you know your your ancestors ate manna in the desert but also obviously they died but the bread that I will give is my is the uh, bread for the life for the for the life of the world. And then how he talks about he is the bread that has come down from heaven. And then he also says, I my my body is true food, my blood is true drink. You know, it's this, this device, it's a it's a it's a scriptural device that's used where you hear something repeated over and over and over and over to hammer home a point. Um, or uh, what Jesus might say, Amen, amen, I say to you again, it's a, that's what we're really supposed to pay attention something important is coming and and then I think probably the clincher for the whole thing is at the very end where people say this is hard this is a hard saying and they go away yeah and Jesus doesn't say hey no 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 come on back I was just uh, just joking around yeah (laughs) I was joking and I was was it was a metaphor yeah metaphor (laughs) hyperbole all these different things he doesn't do that and and, you know the the apostles say to whom else shall we go you have the, the words of spirit and life and so you have the faithful ones that remain with him, that believe his teaching that uh, uh, on the Eucharist, on the bread of life in the bread of life discourse that we hear from John 6. So we're going to be doing uh, something like that. We'll be uh, posting uh, weekly homilies. A number of reasons for this. One is, you know, sadly when the when the, the pandemic hit, you know, m- many of the faithful, majority of the faithful, weren't able to receive the Eucharist, and so there was a real longing for that. And so I think when we, as we're getting back to some sense of normalcy, and people are able to return to the Eucharist, to say, okay, let's let's revisit this, because it's it's not something that we can say automatically. Okay, I've got the I have it completely figured out what the Eucharist is. The Eucharist is a mystery, yeah. and a mystery means that we can't completely uh, capture it, you know, with our mental faculties. It means that it's this this, this uh, wellspring that we can continue to. Learn about and go to and drink from and and gain knowledge. But we won't have uh, complete knowledge of it until we come into the kingdom of heaven. So, um, you know, that was one of the, the, the one of the thoughts was coming out of this pandemic to talk about the importance of the Eucharist. Um, to mention, we're getting ready to do something with the bishops' conference on uh, a letter on on the Eucharist. That's what it is. It's on the Eucharist. Everybody keeps saying, "Oh, you're going to write that letter about denying politicians <laughs> yeah. Holy Communion." The letters on the Eucharist, <laughs> and I, I think um, you know, sometimes we can be accused of politicizing the Eucharist, but that's not the case. I would say the people who say that are the ones who are politicizing the Eucharist. Um, and then also we're, we're, uh, we, we voted in, 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 as the, the conference, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, in order to do a Eucharistic revival, to really help to promote this great love for the Eucharist, devotion to the Eucharist, things such as Eucharistic Adoration. All sorts of different things. So, um, yeah, there's a there's a there's a number of reasons why we're doing this, and I think for us here in our in the diocese of Gallum we're doing this because we really want to prime the pump and and get people ready for the good good things that are coming. But the the the, the church lo- lobbed us a softball, gave us you know five weeks minus the one, five weeks of uh, of John Gospel chapter six, and why not take a swing at it and yeah. see if we can hit a home run with it.
0: Well, and even the the assumption, I mean, Mary always points to Christ, mm-hmm. you know, do whatever he tells you, so.
1: Oh, yeah, if you look wanna... at, you know, like, the Litany of Loretto, all the, yeah. all the different titles that refer to Our Lady. Um, if you look at, uh, there's a wonderful religious community that used to serve in my diocese, the, the Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, right? Um, so there's, yeah, there's all sorts of, of ways to uh, to tie that in.
0: All right, so um, anything that we mentioned, uh, please feel free to find it in our show notes. And uh, for those who aren't outside our diocese but would maybe like to learn more about the, the series we're doing on John 6, we'll post those as well um, yeah. for people to find. Um, so, and as always, do you have a uh, specific uh, prayer or practice maybe to as we close out to, to encourage people to look at?
1: Well, I, I'd say maybe one of the things important for religious liberty, religious freedom, is, is to remember. That it's it's not simply the uh, freedom of worship, and I think that's there was an attempt for a time, and even sometimes there still is an attempt to kind of reduce it to that. But worship is a, is an act, such as worship for us is mass, entering the celebration, sacrifice mass, highest form of worship, and we we give praise and worship to God in a very specific way at that time. Um, but it, it's kind of it, it narrows it right, but it's not. Freedom of, of worship. Freedom of worship is a part of freedom of liberty or, or, or of, uh, of religion, um, and so that's more expansive. And that's the 24/7. That's allowing someone to live out and practice their faith 24/7. Um, talk about something like church and state separation. The church and state. I think many times um, there are people who get that backwards, and, um, and really, it's 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 to uh, allow for free practice of, of religion. That's what that's what separation of the church and state uh, means. It's not to that the government should establish a, uh, a, a, chur- a state church, right, not to do that, or give preference to one over the other, but rather it is that the government protects that liberty, that freedom to practice one's religion. Well, not only that, but I mean,
0: if we're looking at just for pure, sort of materialistic reasons, you know, probably arguably not just the Catholic Church but a lot of religious institutions provide services that save the government far more than they ever would have made on taxes. Oh yeah, you know, look, at yeah. look at the work we
1: do with hospitals, look at the work we do with uh, you know Catholic Charities, St. Vincent de Paul Society, schools. You go on and on yeah. and on and on. And we, and we do it uh, because the, the mandate's been given to us by the Lord. Right? Love one another as I have loved you. Yeah. And so we do it as an act of charity, really, really willing the good of the other. Yeah. Excellent.
0: All right. Well, um, thank you to everyone for listening as usual. And uh, thank you once again, Bishop Wall.
1: Thanks, Suzanne. God bless you and all of our
0: listeners.